Last week I was listening to podcast, listening to podcasts more and more these days. This happened to be one that was about a former pastor named Josh Harris, a name that I'd heard of but not wasn't too familiar with. And part of the podcast was his story, and the other part was an interview with him. But to some of you, that name will be familiar. Josh Harris is the one perhaps most renowned for a book he wrote back in the late 90s called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And he was something of a gifted writer, pastor. In his mid to late 20s, he already was pastor of a fairly substantial megachurch. And as the podcast unfolded, or even before it started, it said that Josh Harris, you know, the well-known author, well-known pastor, had in 2018 disavowed the book that he'd written. In 2019, he announced that he and his wife were separating. And shortly after that, he tweeted that he was no longer a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and my first instinct when I heard that intro was to lament to think, oh, here's yet another story of a pastor who has gone elsewhere and leaving a flock and a, a, ser- you know, a variety of congregations heartbroken, bereft, wondering. Um, I almost didn't continue, candidly, but I did. And what I learned as the interview unfolded was this very gifted guy and all the ways that he was blessed had a whole host of pressures that went with that. It's not easy to be in that vein for very long before just the external pressure of expectations, the kind of celebrity pastor piece that has been so much part of the megachurch evangelical landscape for the last 20 years was very much uh, oppressive to him to the point where I don't think he realized where the separation between belief and performance really was. He, as he began to get feedback over the last few years about how much the book he'd written was actually hurtful to certain people. That caused him to think. And so the result of all this was to be in a place of just walk, you know, saying goodbye to his congregation and then eventually saying goodbye to his faith. And so what he was describing in this podcast is something that the pastor writer of Hebrews is describing for his readers. He's very concerned about the pressures of the world that, that press us on so many fronts. And, and if we're not thoughtful, if we're not wise, we too may be tempted to get to that place of saying, you know, I'm, I'm done, or I'm thinking about being done, or I'm not sure why I'm still here. Our current culture calls that deconstruction. As I reflected on that, and as the pastor writes in the Hebrews passage that Jared read, he's not writing from a position of doom and gloom, although he does start with sort of a stark uh, declaration. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But being the good pastor that he is, he goes on to talk about what we need in order to withstand such pressure. It is that essential aspect of perseverance. And perseverance is something that that Hebrews is leaving us with this week. If you've been with us for a while, you know where we've been in a series on Hebrews, that idea of being on a pilgrimage, on living out our Christian life the way that the Lord has unfolded it and based on his work. And last week we looked at what Jesus has done. He's gone into the heavens on our behalf through the sacrifice himself and we will go and join him in due course. 
But in the meantime, and this is the last week we'll be in Hebrews, he's leaving us kind of final instructions before either we go to him or he comes and returns for us. And these final instructions are the ways to withstand this pressure, this opposition that is, just goes with who being a Christian in this world is. A world that thinks that any number of things about the Lord that are less than who he actually is. So we're going to unpack that. Let me refresh our memory on the text. Here's what the writer says as he moves us into a place of, of encouraging us to persevere and to endure. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. He's a good pastor because he squares up against the issues and the challenges that they're facing. Doesn't sugarcoat it. Doesn't say that it's not happening. Doesn't try to spiritualize it. These guys are facing opposition in three basic categories. So they're, they're looking at three different areas of, of opposition. The first is just insults, threats to reputation. Nobody likes to stand in the middle of that, but they are being insulted for their faith in Christ. Some of them lost their liberty. They're actually in prison because of their faith in Christ. Others have lost um, their property. Some have lost their liberty. Some have lost their property. It was at certain times within the early church history easy to confiscate the things, the property of Christians. And so they have faced all of this. But he says, and some of them have just been walking alongside particular Christians that have experienced this. But he knows that, he says, you've had better and lasting possessions. Don't give up. We know you're facing opposition, but don't throw away that confidence. God will bring you safely to the place of, of being with him in eternity. It, that's what it means to say, it will be richly rewarded. And we see the parallels today. You know, in Bible times, if you wanted to insult somebody, you had to go down to the marketplace and insult them or go into an amphitheater and cause a riot. Now you just have to get on the internet and just blast out a, a message or a tweet or something like that. We don't necessarily have property confiscation right now as believers, but we do face, I think, missed opportunities because of our faith. People are like, well, I'm just not sure you're kind of right for this organization. You may not have the same kind of fluid ethics that are going to be required in order for you to be successful here. There's a variety of ways that it gets shaded, but all that to say that there are times that we experience opposition. Today, we are remembering the persecuted church. Some of you, if you're on our email list, you saw that that was an area of focus for us in our prayer later on that Cindy will read. You'll be praying for the persecuted church. There are, according to the particular website that was referenced, over 340 million Christians that are actively under the oppression of the government authorities in some way, shape, or form, taking the form of insults, taking the form of uh, imprisonment, taking the form of confiscation of property. It's as alive today as it was when the writer of Hebrews was penning this. So what's his remedy? What does he want us to learn? He wants us to persevere, to endure. It's, he realizes there's not an immediate rescue coming. Jesus will come in his own time for us. But in the meantime, he says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. 
for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not de delay. Perseverance, endurance, it's something that is very much in our culture. We think about it. What do you think that means? When you think about that word, to persevere or to endure, the Greek can mean either. What do you, what do you think? Uh, if you're a YouTube fan or you're up on the latest management books, maybe you saw a few years ago Angela Duckworth's book on grit. This is a concept, but here's what grit is. It's a combination of passion and perseverance for a singularly important goal. It is the hallmark of high achievers. It's this idea that I'm going to press on regardless of obstacles. I'm going to press on in spite of setbacks. I'm pressing on. So I like that. There's definitely a need for that in all the endeavors that we're called to. But when the writer is talking about endurance and he's talking about perseverance, it's not something that we manufacture in and of ourselves. It is instead this. To endure is to act faithfully as one who belongs to the Lord in the midst of opposition. It is not so much about effort as it is about relationship. It's not just us trying harder so much as it is trying within the shadow of the wings of the Lord Almighty, being dependent on him to say, Lord, I, I need your help to persevere. There are too many opposing forces going on for me to figure out what, what you're doing, how I'm supposed to respond, but I do need your help to endure. And so this is in one sense why we're calling this message the art of persevering. Sometimes we like scientific stuff. This isn't science. This is, this is relational at its core, and therefore it is more of an art. There's a few insights that I think I want to bring to this. The first is the perspective. If we're going to persevere the way the Lord has us to, wants us to, in the middle of whatever situation that you think, you know, right now just frame up your, your area where you're having to persevere. It can be more than one, but just keep one in there. And then how are you moving through that? Where, where's God coming alongside? I, I want to say the first thing that we need to go through whatever we're experiencing, whatever op opposition we're facing or will face, is that idea of perspective. We need to know his mind on things. How, do, how, do we, how does he view what we're experiencing? The opposition, the insult, the loss of opportunity. You know, God's way, the first perspective is, as the writer was saying, he said, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will, you've received what he has promised. In other words, God, this is leading somewhere. It's leading to you to be blessed by the Lord when he comes again. And the second part of his perspective is the one of time. When we're going through hard things, it seems like it's forever. Time seems to slow down. It's like, I can't wait to be over. This is tough. How long has it been? It's like, oh, two hours. Oh my goodness, how many days has it been? How many weeks has it been? Usually the part of the challenge of something that goes on in our lives that really hurts or wounds is the prolonged nature of it, that it's lasting a lot longer than we ever anticipated, or we thought that we would have just so much reserve, and now we're completely out. It's like, we need the Lord's perspective on it. We don't always know what he's up to in the middle of these things. We can't possibly know or even come close to understanding sometimes what he's up to. This is, this is the Daniel passage that was read in the, in the Old Testament. Daniel's given this amazing revelation and he says, well, what's, what's this mean? And the angel says, you don't have to worry about it. It'll unfold when it unfolds. 
And I think that's a word for us today. We don't necessarily have to worry about all the things that we, we may be worrying about. That God has it sorted, as the British would say. He knows what his plans are for us. We have to have his perspective. Now, it's okay to say, I don't understand, and this hurts, and I don't know why this is going on. But don't, don't give in to the enemy's temptation. You know, because God has a perspective on what's going on. We need to hear that. But the enemy also has a perspective that he's trying to share. He says, you can't figure this out. But you got to figure it out. It's up to you. And if that leads to you deconstructing your faith entirely, well, at least you've been honest. You know, that's important. You've been a person of integrity. You've followed this thing. But here's the whole time out and the whistle blow on that mindset. It's like, there are things that we cannot figure out. It is a very dangerous thing to, to rely only on our ability to make, to connect certain dots about what's going on and to decide that we somehow know better than God. God is still God. He knows more than we'll, <laughs> we could ever know. And so the response is not to give in to the enemy's temptation to deconstruct, but to give in to the Lord's perspective that I can rest in not knowing. I still need your help, but I can rest in your perspective. See, the trials and tests in Scripture, if you just look at them, they seem to be ways that God uses to actually grow our faith, to give him glory, and to give us a blessing that we can't possibly know right now. We don't know what that looks like. But if you look at it over and over again, you know, I tested you in the desert. These trials and temptation, Peter says, is testing your faith of greater worth than gold. There's something about the heavenly economy that relies on testing to develop our faith so that we can give God glory. But also in this earth, we can be prepared for something additional that he has for us. If you've ever had the opportunity to hire somebody, you're looking at their resume. You're saying, do they have enough experience to take on this new assignment that I have for them? And sometimes we find somebody who might be a little junior, right? The right person, just maybe two years too early. So come back in a couple of years, would love to talk to you. That's entirely fine. And I think this is in some ways the way the Lord works in that school of faith for us. And when we go through these trials, dependent on him, not giving into the temptation to just try to figure it out all on our own, we can be in that place where he says, you know what, I can give you some more to do for my behalf. There's some people that I need you to reach. There's a situation that you're going to be the right person for, but it's going to come with more opposition. It's going to come with more challenge. And we're in this small school right now so that we can move to the next place in that school of faith. That's perspective. The second thing that in that art of persevering is to understand the presence of the Lord. We'll go with three Ps tonight. Perspective, presence. Here's the point. Whatever we're going through, we're never going through by ourselves. Even though it may feel like that. Even though we may be crying out, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? If you're going through hell right now, you're not alone. Am I just saying that to be kind of a contemporary preacher? No, I'm actually preaching out of Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you or the night shine, and the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. If I make my bed in the depths and Sheol, you are there. There is no situation, there's no place, there's no mental place, psychological spot that we can go that God is not present. Now, that doesn't mean we always know that he's present. Um, but, you know, our... 
whether we can perceive him does not necessarily, uh, his presence is not dependent on our perception. He is nevertheless there and he is always there. Psalm 16, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you won't abandon me to the realm of the dead. Whatever we're going through, we won't be to the realm of the dead as long as we realize that the Lord's presence is with us. Finally, the perspective, his presence. But you know what he also brings us in the midst of challenge and opposition? Our people. And you're like, really? Yeah, really. People can be a sort of a double-edged sword. Because sometimes the opposition that we, you know, the opposition that we've been hearing about in Hebrews so far has been mostly external. But if we're honest, and this is part of Josh Harris's story, a lot of the opposition was internal. It was from Christians, wounded, friendly fire. And so when we think that Lord brings us people to help us in the midst of that, we're a little wary at times. But know that, you know, the Hebrews 10 passage that we're looking at, we didn't get to look at the first, at verses 24 and 25, which may be familiar to you. It says, let us, uh, it says, uh, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the point. We need to be able to share one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I, I don't know, one of my hopes uh, for our community as we grow is to be able to do more and more of that. Some of us were able to gather last night for a, kind of a core team dinner, and that was great. We could talk a little bit about what that meant. We could hear a little bit more about what was going on in people's lives. I see that going on in the small groups that are in operation right now. Uh, the Bible study is good and helpful, but so much of the life of the Spirit is in that time of people being able to share it. This is what's going on for me. That's not an extracurricular activity. That's an essential way to be in that place of being able to persevere, being able to withstand opposition. Enduring and persevering is meant to be done in the company of others. God gives us his perspective on what we're going through. He always gives us his presence. If, we're, if we look, we will find people to go along with us. And we will need all three of those to successfully get to the place that he wants us, to get to that place where we have better and lasting possessions. Towards the end of the interview, uh, Harris was talking about his journey, and he said, I remain open. Even though I, I wouldn't consider myself a follower of Christ, I remain open. There's something about maybe the Calvinist in me that thinks that sense of, of that ultimately it's a choice still resonates with me. The choice is to follow Christ or to be in that place of the dreadful things, to fall in that place of judgment, to be on the wrong side of the judgment. That doesn't bear contemplating. And so I just want to say by way of encouragement um, that, first of all, deconstruction is not always a bad thing. The, in the old days, it used to be called reformation. But when you look at things that are going on in your life or you look at practices in the church and you think, hmm, what's the biblical origin of those? How is that actually helping? Where is it sort of gotten a little weird or metastasized in certain ways so that it's, it's less... It's no longer life-giving. It's more about people than about the spirit. Those are healthy and right. But the, the demark, the barrier is it cannot lead, it should not lead us to a place of rejection of our faith in walking Christ. And so as long as people are breathing, no matter how deconstructed they think they are, I'm encouraged by the final comment of Josh Harris. I pray that he would 
go through what he's going through. And the Lord, out of his mercy, would bring him back. If you look at the history of the church, uh, these kinds of journeys were called journeys of apostasy. And it was a big deal. But the church got it right when they said, you can come back. It's not that if you, you may have renounced Christ, but if you're still breathing, you got an opportunity to reconnect. Such is the mercy of the Lord. So I hope that this is helpful, if not now, that helpful in days to come, years to come, pass it on to somebody. I'm just so concerned when I continually read about and hear about so many people who are really on this deconstruction place and allowing it to lead them over to a place of rejection of the Lord who loves them and who saves them. But we have, as the Hebrews writer says, but there are better things in your case. I believe that's true for us. But let us be the Lord's people for those that are on a journey. Let us be manifestations of his presence and let us offer the perspective that he brings to those who need it. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.